0: As I was reading over the portion from the Torah this week, from Deuteronomy 21.10 to uh, 25.19, two verses jumped out. I mean, just flew off the pages, causing me to pause and reflect and meditate just a little while longer. And I believe that these verses can really shed more light on the events surrounding the death of our Messiah. And once again, I'm both amazed and blessed by the price that He paid for all of us. I want to read again Deuteronomy 21, 22-23. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. I think that we can see in these verses that there were some sins that were in fact worthy of death. They included, for example, sins of the wayward and rebellious son and also the sin of idol worshiping. An interesting point that we found back in Deuteronomy 17.6 is the way a fair trial should take place and the condition required to put someone to death. Quote, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on just the evidence of one witness. How does this connect to Messiah Yeshua? Well, the books of Matthew and Mark describe the unfair trial that Yeshua faced. Specifically, they both tell of the way that two witnesses were not able to give the same testimony since they were all false witnesses. However, in both accounts, we see that the turning point took place once the high priest approached Yeshua with this question Matthew 26, verses 63 to 66. But Yeshua kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Yeshua said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you that hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes, saying, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Yeshua said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven, and tearing his clothes. The high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. As we know, Yeshua was put to death. He had to be, since he was the ultimate fulfillment of God's word. However, the way in which he died was very different from the way the Torah commands it to be done. In the Torah, a guilty person must be put to death first, mainly by stoning them, and then is to be hanged on a tree as a form of shaming. However, Yeshua was put to death in a Roman way when he was crucified on a cross. The Romans would put the person on the tree while he was still alive so that he could suffer a slow and torturous death and then leave the body on the tree so that it would, not, it would rot, leave it there for the birds to eat. Please note that in the biblical instructions, the person's corpse should not hang all night on the tree, but rather the body should be buried the same day and before sundown. This explains, I believe, the multiple accounts in Matthew and Mark and John in which, in which once Yeshua's death was confirmed, Joseph of Arimathea asked to bury his body before, before sundown. And so in closing, I want to point us to the book of Galatians, in which Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, references Deuteronomy 21, when he explains the incredible significance behind Yeshua's death on a tree. Quote, Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Galatians 3:13 and 14. My dear friends, Yeshua is the fulfillment of the Torah. Yes, he, is. he is the fulfillment of the prophets. He took upon himself our curse, and through faith in him, we can all, Jew and Gentile alike, be restored to the Father. That is indeed good news. Shabbat shalom. This morning, you will see what happens when Dennis actually tries to put together a PowerPoint presentation. And if it's helpful, I want you to let me know Maybe you see things as I speak and if I get enough people that say that was helpful, then I'll try to do this every week. Um, If I don't get any comments or say it really didn't make any difference, then believe me, I won't be doing it again (laughs) because I am computer challenged, if you know what I mean. We're finishing the book of uh, uh, chapter seven uh, in the book of Romans uh, this morning and um, not yet, not yet, I'll let you know. And the title of the message this morning is called Warfare. Warfare. The flesh versus the spirit. So I want to start with a question. Has anybody here ever experienced spiritual warfare in their life? Of course. So I believe what this short six-verse section of Scripture allows us to see is the source and the cause of the warfare. And by the way, you have to know that it is warfare. It's not just a struggle. If you want to have a struggle, we can go out and play that game where one group of people get on one side of the rope and another group of people get on the other side of the rope, and whoever pulls the other group across the center line wins. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about eternal warfare. And I think you'll see this as we go on. So next slide, please. Romans 7, verses 21 to 25. And I can see already that I should have made that bigger. No, you can see it. Okay. As I read through this, what I want to do is give you some definitions of the words that sometimes we just pass over. And that's not a reference to Pesach. I have a, oh, somebody got it. I've got a wonderful um, reference at home. Uh, It's called Spiro Zodiatus, Bible and Dictionary. And what it does is it gives the Strong's Concordance numbers for all of the major words in Scripture, and then you can go back to see Zodiatus' explanation of not only what the translation of the word is in Greek, not only the pronunciation of the word is in Greek, but the intent of the word is in Greek. So as I read this, I'm going to stop at each word that I want you to pay close attention to. I find then a law, the Greek word here is nomos. It could be a general law. It could be a specific law. It could refer to the law of Moses, but it can refer to other laws. I find then a a law that evil is present with me. In other words, it's there to give me a word or a command to do something. Evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. In other words, the one who wants to perform what is beautiful and what is complete in the eyes of God. For I delight, I take joy in, I rejoice in the law of God, according to, and the Greek there for according means down in, I take Delight in the law of God down in the inward man. But I see or I perceive another law in my members. And the member here talks about the flesh. And the flesh is the seat of desire and passion. Warring. Literally leading an army against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity, please understand the military terms that are being used here. To be led away captive to the law of sin. In other words, missing the mark of the true goal and scope of life. And that law of sin is in my members. This is not a yin yang theology. There is no good spirit and bad spirit fighting against each other in your spirit. How can that not be? Because God can't dwell in the presence of sin. I remember being in Israel last month, and I was talking with um, one of the, the, the rabbis there, and I, I, we were talking about how Yeshua literally sweat blood in the garden. And I told this rabbi, I don't think that he sweat blood in anticipation of the beating that he would get or in anticipation of the scourging that he would get or in anticipation of the crown of thorns that would be pressed down upon his head or in anticipation of the spear being thrust in his side. No, I believe that he sweat blood in anticipation of the fact that for three hours he would be separated from God. And he said to me, he was never separated from God. Now, this man is even older than I am. He's written lots of books. He's taught all over the world. And I didn't want to argue with him in his synagogue. But, dear ones, when Messiah became a curse on the tree, God could not fellowship with him as long as he was a curse. Amen? O Oh, wretched man that I am. I love the Greek word for wretched, if I can pronounce it. Teleporos. It means suffering, miserable, afflicted, and attacked. A wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me? Who will draw me out with force? Free me from this calamity and danger that I find myself in. And free me from this body, this soma, this physical body of death. I thank God. And the word here for thanksgiving in the Greek is thanks for undeserved reward. Grace. I thank God through Yeshua Messiah, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve or act accordingly the law of God, but with the flesh, the sarks, the law of sin. Now if you would, Juan Carlos, bring up the next slide. I want to read this in the Dennis Carp Amplified Version based on the definitions that I've just given you. And since this is very small for me in the front, please forgive me as I turn my back and read off the bigger screen. I find then a law that evil is present with me, that is to give me a word or a command to me who wants to do what is good and beautiful and complete For I take joy and rejoice in the law of God deep down in my spirit. But I see another law in my flesh, the seed of desire and passion, leading an army against the law of my mind, and bringing me to be led in captivity to the law of sin, that is, missing the true goal and scope of life, the law of sin which dwells in my body, in my body. (laughs) O oh, troubled, miserable, afflicted, and an attacked man that I am. Who will deliver me, draw me out by force, free me from this danger and calamity from this body of death? I thank God for this undeserved reward through Yeshua Messiah, our Lord. And so then, with the mind of God, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Next slide, please. Spiritual warfare. So the question I want to ask here is, who or what is Paul talking about? Because earlier in Romans chapter 7, we talked about the fact that in Hebraic thought, most preaching is communal in nature. It doesn't talk about just me, myself, and I. It talks about many other things. For example, perhaps... This scripture passage is talking about Adam, Adam in the garden, as we read about in Genesis 1 and 2. Give me a second. God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be food for you. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw that everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. But God gave Adam one command. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the midst of the garden, of that tree and that tree alone, you shall not eat, lest you surely die." And Adam's flesh was aroused, and Adam's passion was aroused, and his desire and lust was aroused, and he and his wife disobeyed the one law that God gave him, and the law of sin entered into his flesh. So perhaps this passage speaks of Adam. Or maybe it speaks of Israel at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 and verses 7 and 8. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, quote, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then what did they do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to create idols of gold and silver. And they also disobeyed the laws that God had given them. And the law of sin went into their mortal bodies. And they began to act on the flesh as opposed to acting according to the law of God. Or perhaps it's um, Paul as an immature believer, as some theologians and apologists suggest. Acts 9, verses 15 to 20. Acts 9, verses 15 to 20. But the Lord said to him, this is to Shaul, Go, I mean he says to um, uh, Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, on Paul said, Brother Saul, the Lord Yeshua, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Maybe this was Paul in his first steps as a believer. Maybe it was Paul where the Spirit of God had not reached maturity in him yet. Maybe it was Paul when the spirit of the law, which he was living under before, the spirit that led him to stand like a coat check guy, gathering coats as they were stoning his brother. Maybe that was Paul, the immature believer. Or maybe it was Paul, the mature apostle. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3 and verses 8 to 10. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 8 to 10. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Messiah, Yeshua my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, dung, that I may gain Messiah and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Maybe it's Paul in his maturity. Maybe it's Paul as he writes this letter to the Roman believers Maybe it's Paul who still struggles with the sin that resides in his flesh. Or maybe it's us. Maybe we're the ones that Paul is writing to. Maybe it's us when we know we shouldn't do something, but we do it anyway. Maybe it's us when we know that something shouldn't be done but we do it anyway. Maybe it's us when we know we should keep our mouths shut in a certain situation but we have to tell off that person just to show how much we know and how holy we are. Maybe it's us who give, whether it's money or time or resources, without loving Because we think that by giving, we'll get something. Because, dear ones, you can give without love, but you can't love without giving. Or just maybe it's all of the above. Maybe it speaks of Adam. Maybe it speaks of Israel. Maybe it speaks of Paul. And maybe it speaks of us as well. Next slide, please. There are two laws, my friends, in mortal combat with one another. There is the law of evil in the members of our body. We find that in Romans 7, 14 to 17. And there is the law of God, which Paul speaks about in Romans 7, 22. I believe it's clear in Scripture, although there are some who will disagree with me, that man is a three-part being, body, body soul, and spirit. Our body is what connects and communicates with the outside world. If I come up and shake your hand, we have communion because our bodies have touched with each other. If you are hearing my voice, it's because the workings of your ears are connecting with the vibrations in the air that are coming out of my mouth. And so the body is how we communicate with the world. The soul is how we should communicate with God. The problem is we are all born with dead spirits, and God resides in our spirit. And so the soul, the mind, the will, the emotion without a spirit that is alive and kindled by the word of God and the spirit of God, cannot connect with God, so it can only connect with the body, and we act in the world as a lifeless spirit directs us to act. And that is the law of sin in the members of our body. How can we know what is the righteousness of God if we have no connection with God's righteousness in our spirit? It's really a hard task. And so we act, or we do, or we try to get God to be our partner and our friend and our God by doing things so that he will react to our stuff. That's the flesh. It's trying to meet everyday needs in our own strength. And that's the law of sin. I'm going to do it by myself. And all you have to do is listen to secular radio all day long, and you hear song after song after song after song about me, myself, and I, and it goes all the way back to Frank Sinatra, who wanted to do it his way. His way. But the law of God, that's the law that's written on hearts and not on stone. That's the law that comes alive by God's Spirit sealing us For an eternal life with the Lord. That's the law that says you are to love God and love your neighbor, and everything else flows from it. That's the law that says you have to understand grace, what you're given that you don't deserve. You have to understand mercy, what you haven't been given that you do deserve. You have to understand the price that was paid for your salvation. The death of an innocent one upon the tree who was hung as a curse in our place. And when we know that, then what we do is out of love and appreciation and thankfulness and not out of duty. I don't come here every Saturday morning because I'm the rabbi. I come here every Saturday morning because the Spirit of God resides in me and I want to be here every Saturday morning. I don't cut a check twice a month to Son of David congregation so that I can receive back tenfold. If I wanted to do that, I'd pay it to some television evangelist. I cut a check to Son of David twice a month because I can't outgive God. It's an impossibility. And I give out of gratefulness. And I give out of appreciation. And I give out of sacrifice. Why should I give out of sacrifice? What sacrifice did he give for me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the law of God. And the law of God that dwells in the inner man does battle. With the law of sin that dwells in the members of our bodies. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. But there is deliverance. Can somebody please say amen? Or hallelujah? Or thank God? Do you ever wonder that that phrase really makes sense? Thank God. Why? We can't win the battle in our own strength. That's what it says in Romans 7.24. Selfish strength is found in the flesh. My attempts to deal with life on my own. No. The deliverance is because God is the victor through His Son. Because ultimately it's not me who's fighting the battle. Ultimately it's Him. But I have good news in two words. Is everybody ready? Are you listening very carefully? He wins. I've read to the end of the book, and I'm not talking about maps. Oh, you're not listening this morning. I'm talking about Revelation. The victory that God has at the end of the book of Revelation was planned before the earth was ever created. Our God is in control. No matter what battle you're going through, no matter what struggle you're having with the flesh, if you are a believer in Messiah Yeshua, you have victory. And what you have to do is connect with the law of God in your spirit so that God through your spirit can do battle with the law of flesh that resides in the members of your body. It's not you who fight, it's he who fights for you. And as long as you keep trying to fight it on your own, as long as you keep trying to make people like you on your own, as long as you try to make right with people on your own, as as long as you try to complete things and do things and be seen good and be seen uh, uh, efficient and be seen powerful or be seen beautiful or be seen whatever you want to be seen by other people on your own, you're a loser and you've lost the battle. Because the only one that matters is God and how He sees you. And all He wants you to do is obey. All He wants you to do is love. Not just Him, but love who He loves. And that's everybody else. Believer or not believer. His grace in us should be our grace to others. His mercy for us should be our mercy for others. And so Paul because God is the victor says wonderfully I thank God through Yeshua Messiah our Lord so then with my mind I serve the law of God one carlos next sign please we have victory and here's the battle that's defined in Galatians 5:16 and 18 I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary to one another. Do you see the battle picture here? They are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. So that you do not do the things... That you wish, now I'm going to get a little graphic here and a little real here, but you know that one of the problems that the majority of people in this country have, and I don't care whether you're a male or a female or a they, because that's how they call them now, a they, is a the problem of pornography. And I'm telling you in the people that I've talked to, male or female, who have a problem with pornography... They know they shouldn't be doing it. They know that inside there's a battle going on. It's not a battle in their spirit. It's a battle between their spirit and the flesh, saying, I don't want to do it. I shouldn't do it. I don't want to do it again. And then they do it anyway. And then when they finish, they're angry with themselves. And that's what this describes. Because the conviction of God by the Spirit is there. That's where the anger comes in. But the passion of the flesh is there. That's why they succumb to the battle and Satan wins. And we need to remind ourselves that we don't have to win the battle. And when that temptation arises, the proper response is to praise God. Not to say, I I don't want to do it, I can't do it, I don't want to do it, I can't do it, because there's too many first person personal pronouns there. I, 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 I. What we should be saying is, God, you've already won this battle for me. And all I want to do is walk in your footsteps. All I want to do is follow your path. All I want to do is reside in the law of your spirit and not the law of the flesh that is asking me to do this again when I know I shouldn't and I always succumb to it. Lord, you need to be my power right now. And I could do a whole bunch more examples, but I guarantee you that what I have just spoken here is applicable to 50% of the people listening to my voice. But if you are led by the spirit, and here's where the misinterpretation comes, you are not under the law. What law? The law of the flesh. Not the law of Moses. Do you see here? You have to see it in context. The battle is between the law of God and the law of the flesh. It's not between the law of God that's placed in you and the Ten Commandments. They are one and the same, my dear ones. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Next slide, please. And there is also ultimate victory. See, it's not just a present day victory, it's also an eternal victory. First Corinthians 15 55 to 58. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. We've talked about it in the past because it's the law that points out sin. But thanks be to God. Can you say that with me? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Oh, how many of you have just passed over that phrase? Who gives us the victory. You know what you have to do to be given victory? It's not hard have to want to receive it and the flesh says i can do it on my own thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord yeshua messiah who paid the price on the tree as we read in scripture this morning therefore my beloved brethren Be steadfast, and I'm going to add some phrases here, in the Lord, immovable in his spirit, always abounding in the work of the Lord, which is a work of love and sacrifice, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I think that's the last slide. Am I right, J.C.? Click once more and we see if we get a blank screen. That's it? Okay. I've been reading a book on prayer. What? I thought you're supposed to be a man of prayer. Well, I'm a man of not enough prayer. Anybody with me? Oh, see, even the ladies. And I've been thinking about prayer, I've been taking more quiet time than I've normally taken in my life because I find that uh, in my closet, if you will, it's easier to shut out the cares of the world. And in that quiet time, it's easier to hear from God. And that's one of the problems with most people with prayer. Most people's prayer is a one-way communication. How many of you who are married have conversations with your spouse and you're the only one who talks? That's no communication. Well, how many of you have prayers with your father and you're the only one who talks? That's not communication either. It's in the quiet place when we spend time with God that he invigorates his law in our spirit. It's in the closet when we lock out the world that surrounds us, that we can truly see what is beautiful and lovely in His sight. It's in that closed, intimate conversation where God can take the anger of our heart and turn it into grace and mercy. Where He can take what happened to us during the day that made our flesh rile up and turn it into compassion to pray for the one who riled it up. And I think that's where we all need to be. Scripture says, pray once a day in the morning, right? (laughs) Pray without ceasing. You know, like in the car when some jerk cuts you off. Or in the grocery store when someone's standing in front of you in a really short line and argues with the cashier for a half an hour while the long line to your right goes through. Oh, you've never been there, right? Or when you have to buy something from Walmart. (laughs) Or your friend or spouse says something cruel to you in their flesh and you want to react in kind. It's in the quiet place that God instructs you how to properly react not by the law of sin in your flesh, but by the law of God in your spirit. And that's what this section is about. It's not grace versus the law. It's the flesh versus the spirit. And that's what Paul is talking about. And that's what the majority of the church, I believe today, has gotten wrong. God's law is pure, it's holy, it's righteous, it's just. And everything else that you can say about it that isn't bad And he gives it to us so we can see that we can't keep it without him. And so we invite him in. We ask him to be our life. We ask him to be our strength. We ask him to fill us, to mature us, to teach us, to convict us, to lead us, so that we can be ambassadors to others for his goodness, which is what we should be doing. He sacrificed for us, we should sacrifice for him. So that... When we want to do what we know we shouldn't do, we don't do. Guess what, guys? We are not going to do it all the time. We're not going to get it right all the time. But praise God, we have a loving God who forgives us anyway. Or actually, praise God, we have a loving God who's already forgiven us. And when we ask for forgiveness for the things that we do, he just reminds us that, oh, by the way, I already did that. You know, like 2,000 years ago. My son hung on that tree. That was for you, Dennis. That was for you, son of David. Now, I normally don't do this, but I don't know anybody's heart here. There may be people here who have been coming to son of David for uh, 20 years but have really never understood what God's grace and mercy are all about. There may be people who have come here maybe for the first or second time and just like to get their Hebraic itch scratched. Or there may be someone here who hasn't understood fully what God has done on their behalf. And so I'm going to ask that if there's anyone here this morning who wants to make a first-time confession of faith in the loving kindness of God, to sending His only begotten Son to hang on a tree for for you in your place. If there's anyone here this morning, in just a minute I'm going to ask you to stand. If there's anyone here this morning who's taken God's love for granted, and I'm not debating whether once saved, always saved or not, but sometimes we find people who have said the prayer... And then they go on living life the way they used to. If there's anyone here like that this morning that wants the spirit of God in their heart to rule as opposed to the spirit of sin in their flesh, in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And if there's anyone who just wants to stand because they want to declare God's love, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. So would you all who want to make any one of those three decisions, please stand. And I want you to repeat after me. Avinu malkenu, our Father and our King. You gave the most precious gift that was ever given or could ever be given. The gift of your Son to die in my place so that I might live forever with you. Father, I understand that life is a battle. I understand that I'm in the midst of spiritual warfare. But I also know the battle is not mine. The battle is yours. And you've already won. And so, Lord, this morning, this Shabbat, I give you my all. This Shabbat, I declare Your Son as my Lord and Savior and Redeemer. This Shabbat, I declare Your Spirit as, to, as the convictor of my soul and the teacher of my spirit. And this Shabbat, by Your help, Lord, I will submit to Your will, succumb to the love of God, obey the law of the Lord, and fulfill the commandment to make disciples of all nations through my witness of your love. And I pray this, Father, in the name of your Son and my Savior, Yeshua. Amen. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May His grace and His face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you, and give you peace. And give you peace. <speaking in Hebrew> Yaradonai Panave Lecha, vi Huneca. Yisadonai Panave Lecha, via Lecha Shalom, via Lecha Shalom. This is the way you shall be blessed. From day to day, He'll be your rest. This is the way you shall be blessed. From day to day, he is your rest. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace let's say a blessing for the fruit of the vine and the bread before we go down for our own Elohenu melech haolam, Bore perihagafen. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Baruch hatadonai, Elohenu melech haolam, Ha mozi lechemi in Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Who who brings forth bread from the earth. Yeshua in the name of Yeshua our Messiah. Shabbat Shalom.